if you will, open with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. We're going to continue our series going through the book of Acts. Last week, I took a little bit of a break as we paused to think and look biblically at uh, what was going to possibly happen in the election. We didn't know last week, but I wanted to share some things with you. And what I shared with you last week is just as true today that we don't put our hope in men. Amen. And we don't put our hope in the government, amen? But we place our hope in the Lord. The Lord is where we place our hope, and the Lord is where we place our trust. And we continue to do that today and every day. He is the one that we hope in, and he is the one that we trust in. And as God's people, when we're in uncertain times, when we're in difficult times, when we're in troubled times, even when we're in good times, there is one place that we can always turn to, and that is the Word of God. That is the Word of God. God's Word is the foundation for our lives, and it is a, it is a sure and it is a solid foundation. And I have a word for you. I think it will bless you from Acts chapter 19 today. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. Lord, it truly is uh, the truth. Your Word is true. And when we live in such a day where we're constantly being bombarded from so many different sides and so many different angles and so many different places of this thought and that thought and this idea and that idea and this news and that news, Lord, it can be difficult to, to know the truth of those circumstances, but your word is the truth. And so that's where we turn to, something that is 100% sure, something that has never failed and will never fail. Lord, though we may not understand all of the events of our world, Lord, we know that you hold our world in your hands and that it is under your power and that it is under your sovereign rule and reign. And we thank you for that today. Lord, strengthen our hearts, strengthen our souls uh, give us the resolve that we need to live as your people, lights shining in a dark world, a world that is fading away and that is passing away as we anticipate you bringing your kingdom and delivering us into your kingdom that will never fade. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Acts chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 8. I want to remind you that Paul is ministering in Ephesus he is on his now third missionary trip, missionary journey. It's brought him to the city of Ephesus, and we're going to look at a couple different events that happen in that city as Paul is there ministering. Verse 8 says that he, he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. Everybody say boldly. boldly. Reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. When some became stubborn... And continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. The way, of course, is Christianity. That was the early name for Christianity, the way. That they're speaking evil against the faith. That the Apostle Paul withdrew from them and he took his disciples with him. He leaves the synagogue and he reasons daily in the hall of Tyrannus. He goes to this place where he could set up shop and do ministry. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 
And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, these are sorcerers, these are people practicing dark magic, witchcraft, the occult. These are not godly people. These are people who are under the power of Satan. It says they undertook to invoke the same name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So they saw Paul doing ministry and they saw that Paul's ministry had extraordinary power. And so they think that they can hijack the name of Jesus and use it as a magic spell in their sorcery. And so they were going around to those who had evil spirits and they were saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all of them, all seven of the sons, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This guy just went macho man Randy Savage on them. He just destroyed them. Amen. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. So word of this spreads throughout the whole city. Both Jews and Greeks and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. It was magnified. And look at the result of this crazy situation. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to about 50,000 pieces of silver. It's about $6 million. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Amen. Now, Paul here, he's in Ephesus. He's ministering in Ephesus. And Ephesus is in the region of Asia Minor. In the Bible, it's called Asia, but it's not... In, in that day, the, the name Asia or Asia Minor didn't refer to Japan or uh, China. That's not the Asia that it's referring to. It's a part of the Middle East where the, the nation of Turkey now stands. So if you pull up your phone and you type in Turkey, well, we're in November right now, so it might bring up uh, some Thanksgiving turkeys. But if you go to your maps and type in the nation of Turkey, this is the region that Paul was ministering in. In this is where Ephesus is at. But I want to remind you of the journey that Paul has been on before he got to Ephesus. And if you will, just flip back with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Of course, we studied this a few weeks ago, but I want to remind you of this point. You see, Paul had tried to travel into this region and minister to these people previously. That story was in Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 6, starting in verse 6. And this is on Paul's second missionary journey. It says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word 
in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And we saw the journey that Paul went on as he set sail for Macedonia, as he landed in Europe, ministering and planting a church in Philippi, ministering, planting a church in Thessalonica, ministering, planting a church in Berea, ministering and seeing some converts in Athens, and then finally ministering, planting a church in Corinth. This ministry trip that Paul had been on was incredibly fruitful. Five churches planted, churches that would become powerhouses for the gospel. And then Paul again on his, on his journey back from Europe, heading back to Israel, on, on taking a break from his missionary journeys, his ship stops over in Ephesus. And we see this in Acts chapter 18, if you'll flip over there. Uh, quickly, Acts chapter 18 and verse 19. It says that they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And they asked him to stay for a longer period, but he declined. And on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So Paul had desired to go into Ephesus. He had desired to go into the city, into this region. He could see that there was great potential there for the gospel, that there was a mighty work of God and, and something that could be done there for the kingdom of God. And so he had this desire in his heart, a good desire. People need to hear about Jesus. These people haven't heard about Jesus. I'm called to preach the gospel, the people who need to hear about Jesus. I'm going to go down into Asia, into Ephesus and the Holy Spirit forbade him. Again, he travels back through there, and the Holy Spirit says he has to go back to Jerusalem. And he tells them, even as they're begging him to stay, he says, I will return to you if God wills. Now, as we look at this on the surface, of course, now we see the result of what happened when Paul went there according to God's timeline. But when we look at this as we're tracking along with Paul, I can imagine this was a very confusing situation. Why isn't God allowing me to go into this region? Why isn't he allowing me to speak and to minister to this place and to these people? A good thing, right? And what we need to understand is that God has times and God has seasons and that he is working things according to his calendar and according to his timetable. And his timetable is not our timetable. It's not. And God does things and he works through situations and circumstances in life that often we don't understand. Often we would do things differently than the way God chooses to do things. Have you noticed that? Right? If God, if I was in control, we'd be doing it this way. Well, thank God you're not in control. Amen. But God is, and, and he is working and he is moving and he, he is putting the pieces together in a way that we don't see 
in a way that we don't understand. And that's what God was doing here with Paul. God was setting this stage in Ephesus for this massive revival to take place. But the first time he passed through and the second time he passed through, it was not the right time. But Paul had surrendered his will to God's will. This morning we sang that song of of your will, of your way, of laying down our will to the will of God. And Paul, as he traveled, he was so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he was able to forego, to pass up on what he could see would be amazing opportunity for the Lord because he was following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And additionally, as we look at how God led Paul, he never once gave Paul an explanation for why he forbade him, for why he shut the door. He never once told Paul, well, guess what? You get to go back there in three years and it's going to be awesome, so just hold on. No. He simply invited Paul into a relationship with himself to walk with him, to trust him, and to walk and to live by faith. The same kind of relationship that all of us are called into to walk with the Lord, to trust in Him, and to live every day by faith. I want to give you a little bit of background on the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was an incredibly dark city, incredibly dark. Spiritually, it was oppressive because of the practices that would go on in the city. It was not a small city, it was quite large. In fact, it was the fourth or fifth largest city in the world in the day that Paul visited there. Estimates for the population size are upwards of a quarter of a million people. 250,000 people lived in this city. These weren't country bumpkins. This wasn't a you know, one stoplight city. This was a large metropolitan area. The place in which it was located geographically was on a port, which this Ephesus became the, the, the inroad to all of the region of Asia Minor. And so all of the commerce, all of the traffic, all of the business that would go on passing from Europe now into Asia Minor would pass through Ephesus. It was the gateway to the continent. And so it was a multicultural city, multi-religious city, pluralism, multi-ethnic, multilingual, and it in the center of the city was a very large library, and I brought a photo of it for you. It still stands to this day. This is the library from Ephesus. In Paul's day, it was the third largest library in the world. So in addition to be a a multicultural, multi-ethnic place of of business and commerce, these were people who were highly educated. They they could read and they could write and they valued uh, literature. They valued the arts. So again, I I just want to paint a picture for you of this city uh, that Paul was ministering in. And again, the population size being as it was, they constructed an amphitheater, an an outdoor theater that could seat 25,000 people. This is the amphitheater in Ephesus. You can go visit it uh, today if you want. Well, not today. I mean, maybe next year or something. 
for, just for reference, the scale, our AT&T Center where the Spurs used to play, um, and hopefully we'll play again one day, seats 18,581 people. They had an arena that sat 25,000 people. But again, at part of the heart of the city, the, the center and the center of the culture of the city sat another building. It was the temple to the goddess Artemis. And the goddess Artemis was the patron goddess of, I'll say sensuality, uh, lust, um, just all things depraved in that area. And this was the center of their city, the worship of this goddess. I would typically show a photo of the idol that they worshipped, Artemis, but because I, we have kids with us today, it's not appropriate to show. It's quite graphic. This was the center of the city, this worship of this goddess. The Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, that's 50% larger than an NFL football field. That's big. It's huge. And they constructed this uh, temple with these 127 white marble columns surrounding it. Each of those columns was 62 feet tall. Just for scale, this roof is about 30 feet tall. Okay? These were not simpletons. These were people who not only understood culture, literature, art, multi-religious, multilingual. They also understood engineering and architecture. You have to have some brains to be able to put something like that together. Amen. However, this, this culture is extremely pagan. It idolizes sensuality. And the spiritual darkness in this place was oppressive. However, in this dark, oppressive, pagan, fallen, godless society, the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to thrive, begins to expand. The light of Jesus begins to push back the forces of darkness so that it says that, that what happens here is that all of the region, the whole area, the whole uh, geography of surrounding Ephesus that everyone hears the gospel in the whole region because of what happened in this dark city. And so let's look at how this happened because what was it that was going on that produced this kind of a result? Well, first it says that Paul was speaking boldly the word of the Lord. As Christians, we've been commissioned to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the world, it's foolishness. To the world, it's folly. To the world, it's nonsense. To the world, it doesn't make sense. But the Bible says to those of us who are being saved, the gospel is the power of God. And Paul never once is ashamed of the gospel, never once misses an opportunity to share the gospel, that Paul is unrelenting, unfazed, even as he faces opposition time and time again, 
He boldly shares Christ. And once he's kicked out of the synagogue, which he was there for three months, the longest time anybody ever left him there. Sometimes he could only stay there for a few hours before they kicked him out. In Ephesus, he was there for three months, but he leaves after he's kicked out, and he goes and he sets up shop in this place called the Hall of Tyrannus, this place where he could minister. And it says, how often was he there? Verse 9. Paul ministered there and taught the disciples there daily. Daily. That the church wasn't just assembling once a week. The church wasn't just assembling every other week. The people weren't just showing up on Christmas and Easter. That the people of God were coming together daily, daily coming together. And you, if you know the Apostle Paul, you know they weren't coming together for just a little, you know, five-minute verse and a little bless you prayer and get on with your day. You know that it wasn't just a little tiny sermonette that Paul was giving them. That daily they assembled as the people of God and received the instruction of the Word of God and the result is extraordinary. After two years of meeting daily, the word of God has spread through the whole region. All the region hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul talks about this event. Paul writes 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. Paul writes to the Corinthians at the end of uh, this letter and he tells them of his plans to visit them. And he says, I want to visit you passing after I pass through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter there so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Passover for a wide door of effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. See, Paul understood that, that there was something interesting happening here, that there's something unusual happening here in Ephesus, that even though the city was so dark and so lost and so pagan and so without God, nevertheless, the gospel was working and the spirit was moving and the message of Christ was getting out and it was going forward. And Paul saw it as a season where he had a wide door of opportunity for ministry. Paul was somebody who could recognize the times and the seasons as they would come and as they would go. He recognized this as a unique time, a unique opportunity for the spreading of the gospel. And so as we look at how, how is it that the gospel is able to spread throughout the whole area, throughout the whole region, how did this happen? Well, first, as we look, one thing that's incredibly obvious is that this is a sovereign move of God. It's a sovereign move of God. What God is doing here is extraordinary. The, these miracles that are happening of even fabrics that touch Paul are carried to the sick and they're healed and delivered. Luke goes out of his way to describe this as extraordinary, as unusual. 
that God was just doing something awesome in Ephesus. In this dark city, this place that needed the gospel, God was moving. And the question that I have is that could God move like that in our day and age? Could God move like that in our city? Yes. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. But we have to understand that it's God who does the work. It's God who moves. It's, it's God who, who makes it happen. First and foremost, this is a sovereign move of God. But secondly, I want to show you something that proceeds what is happening here, that proceeds this, this going forth, this going out, this incredible move of God. Yes, number one, it is a sovereign move of God. But secondly... There is an unrelenting dedication to the proclamation of God's word. Unrelenting. These people were dedicated to studying the word of God, to learning the word of God. Daily they met to have God's word poured into their hearts and into their lives. And Paul raised up many of them and sent them out all over the regions of Asia to preach the gospel. We know of eight, at least eight churches that were planted in this region during this time. The first was a church in Colossae, and Paul writes them a letter. It's the book of Colossians in your Bible. There's seven other churches that are planted there in the book of Asia, and we read about those churches in the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is given a letter to send to the seven churches that are in Asia. These seven churches planted in seven different cities, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And from these seven churches, the gospel goes forward unhindered. But it started with a daily dedication to training themselves, equipping themselves with the word of God. I just want to say that as a pastor, there is something that I'm becoming increasingly burdened about that I see in the church and that I see in our culture. I, I see over the last several years with the proliferation of technology and the expansion of what technology can do with media and social media and smartphones and and information systems. It seems to me, it appears to me that God's people are, are more passionate and more consumed with all of those kinds of words, all of that kind of news. And that God's people are not washing their mind with the word, are not dedicated to the word of God, but instead are dedicated to filling their soul and their mind with all of this other word. And it's a problem in our world today. Social media is is reprogramming people's brains and changing who people are. And people that 
we used to know as one way give themselves over to the consumption of, of media in a, um, uh, uh, a systematic and consistent way that it, it, it gets into their soul and it changes who they even are. It's, it's not benign. It's not neutral. These things have... We need to understand that, that there are dark spiritual forces at work in our world. And they are looking to, to work through any means possible. And the, the, <laughs> the companies, the, 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 the conglomerations, the corporations that own and exercise control over these media outlets are not godly, do not submit to the cross of Christ, in fact, are anti-Christ in their outlook. And as we just simply log in, not knowing that every time we do that, we are, conf- we are engaging in a spiritual battle, what I'm seeing across the country and across the church is that the church is becoming a casualty of war in the spiritual battle because we don't even know that we're supposed to be fighting. And these systems are retraining our minds. And people are spending their whole lives consumed with the consumption of information that is not coming from the Lord. And I recognize that there is some bit of irony in the fact that right now I'm streaming this on Facebook. But I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think and to rethink deeply what our participation should even be in these systems. Because I'm seeing how people's minds are being ruined. And we need to train our minds with the Word of God. But if we fill our souls with the Word of man and the news and the ideologies and the philosophies of the world, we leave very little room or regard for God's Word even within the church. I don't have a solution, but I believe it is a real problem. I believe it is a real problem when the people of God would spend more time on Facebook than they would in the Word of God. I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem. I, I, I'm concerned that even, even those who daily spend time in God's word, that it becomes just a, a checkbox, just a token. But then now I can really get to what I'm interested in. And for the next 24 hour, 23 hours, I fill my soul with all of this other stuff. So that it dominates our thinking and it dominates our whole outlook on life and that our world view, our thoughts, our emotions are not being shaped by God's truth, but are being shaped by the lies of the world.
One of the results in Ephesus is this, these people that want to use the name of Jesus for their own glory, for their own power. They think they can use it as a magic spell. It doesn't work for them. They get beaten up and run out of town. And it says in verse 17 that this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, that this event, this crazy thing where this demon-possessed guy beat up all these people, it, it, this news of this spread, or spreads through the whole city. And the result is that fear falls on the whole city. The fear of God. And the name of the Lord Jesus was exalted. And verse 18 says that many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God allows this event, this singular event in the city of Ephesus, this crazy event. It, it freaks everybody out. The, the whole city is in an uproar about this, this thing that happens. And the fear of God falls on all of them. And it shakes the city up. It shakes the people of the city and it says that there were even Christians who were practicing, who were dabbling in these dark arts. But when this shaking happened, when this fear of God fell on all of them, they, they said, we, we can't straddle the fence anymore. We can't try to live for Christ and still dabble in this other stuff and the ways of the world. That, that to for, follow Christ, we must forsake all and leave everything behind and so even Christians come and begin to confess their sin and, and repentance falls on the whole city. Christians who weren't living as Christians because they were practicing this other stuff. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, once we belong to Christ, we must completely turn our back on the ways of the world, the ways of darkness, and the, the operation and the control of Satan. We turn our back completely on these things. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? This event, this event that disturbed everyone, that shook everybody, that got everybody to pay attention, the fear of God fell on all of them and they began to repent and turn from their wicked ways and to pursue and to follow after God. And I just have to wonder if what's happening right now in our world with the pandemic, if what's happening right now in our nation with this crazy election and the crazy contesting of everything, the questioning of all institutions and people losing faith in the government and, and just all of the things. Is it a shaking? Is God shaking us? Could it be that God is shaking things and that the church would wake up? That the church would say, oh, wait a second. 
I have not been living for God. I have not been pursuing God. I have not been in his word daily as I should have. I have not been training my thoughts. I have not been pursuing God in prayer. I have not been devoted to righteousness and to peace and to joy. I've not been devoted to the kingdom of God as I should. I've not been devoted to holiness and sanctification work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And could God be shaking some people right now to set them free of the bonds of hoping in men and the bonds of hoping in the government and that God would let us once again look to him, the church looking unto God for our source, for our salvation, as our supply, as the victor and king of kings. That the church doesn't have to run around all freaked out about everything. Because we're not tied into this news and that news and this news. and The sky's falling over here and the sky's falling over there. We know that the sky is going to stay fine until Jesus comes back and splits it open. Amen. But that, that, that confidence... It, it will not come if we're training our, our mind and, and filling our hearts and filling our souls with the fear of the world. You know what you need? You need the fear of God in your life. And may God be gracious enough to allow some things to be shaken so that his people would once again fall on their faces with the fear of God. And be resolute in our purpose and in our calling and what God has asked us to do. You know, I have voted myself personally in six or seven presidential elections. I go to the ballot, I cast my vote, I push the button, you know, whatever it is that you have to do this year. I go home, I mean, that's what I do. I, I, I do my vote. The first election I voted in was the year 2000. Remember the year 2000 when the whole world was going to come to an end at midnight? Remember that? We had a big church service because we thought, well, Jesus might come back, so we might as well be in church and we can, we can go to heaven. We didn't know, you know, the airplanes are going to fall out of the sky, elevators are going to crash, all your money is going to go to zero. Remember all the stuff that was going on in the year 2000? Remember how none of that happened? Well, anyway, the first presidential election I voted in was the year 2000. And I don't know if you also remember, but that was a contested election. Bush, Bush versus Gore. And it all centered in Florida. And we all learned about the hanging chads and the dimpled chads because of the way the ballots worked. Chad was a really popular name that year. But, but they, they, there was all this confusion about the ballots and the counting of the ballots. And for weeks, the election was undecided, undetermined. But you know what didn't happen in the year 2000? The results of the election did not dominate my every single waking thought. I cast my vote. 
I wasn't worried about what was going on down there in Florida. They'll figure it out. Whoever's going to be the president is going to be the president. We'll move on. That was the attitude of the church. That was my attitude. That was the attitude of the culture for the most part. But as I examine the church today, as I examine my own heart, what I've found over the last few days is that my thoughts are being dominated by what's going to happen in the election. Anybody else or is that just me? Why is it different this year? It's because we're being trained and infiltrated and influenced and consumed with what is coming across the screen. And we're beholding it. And we're not beholding Christ. We're not looking unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith. We say we are. And we can recite the right things. But in practice, how much time do we spend on the media? How much time do we spend in the news? How much time do we spend on the phone versus how much time we spend connecting with God, prayer, worship, and the word? The the scale is tipped way too far. It is out of balance. It is so far out of balance. And the fruit of it is that the church is freaked out about something we should not be freaked out about. Because God is on the throne and he cannot be voted out. We got to, we got to unplug. And I'm not here advocating any kind of solution or boycott or anything like that. All I'm here saying is, are are we training our mind with the word of God? We look at what they did in Ephesus and we looked at the results of what happened daily, 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 daily. We must, we must fill ourselves with the word of God. I invite you to stand with me. I'm not here to condemn anyone. The Bible says that for those who are in Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation. But I do hope that the conviction of the Holy Spirit for how we spend our time and what we focus on and what has our attention and where we put our hope, that we would be convicted. And that God would shake what needs to shake and that he would wake us up and that the church would wake up to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit above all and be the force of light in the world he's called us to be. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It's also a sword in our hand. Lord, it is our weapon. The weapons that we fight with are not carnal because our enemy is not carnal. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are dark spiritual forces in heavenly places. 
And for too long, we've sat on the sidelines and we've been casualties in this battle and in this war because we refuse to pick up the sword. We refuse to train ourselves with your word. And so the enemy has a field day in our lives because we're not using the weapon that you've given us. Lord, we repent of mediocrity. We repent of casual living. We repent of, of allowing our hearts and minds to be led astray by the love of the flesh and the things of this world. Lord, help us through the power of your spirit to guard our hearts from which flow all of the issues of life. Let the church arise in this day. Wake us up. Shake us from our apathy towards you, towards your kingdom, towards holiness and righteousness. Let your spirit be poured out on this land, on our church, in our families. Lord, let our conversation be dominated by what you're doing, not what is happening in all these other places. Let us be consumed with you and your kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world that are passing away. We give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning.